Good morning. Let me get set up here. I have all my notes on my phone because when I tried to print them out, my printer said no. (laughs) So to start off, it's interesting how we live in a society nowadays that values complexity over simplicity. We prefer something that's more intricate, something that's more advanced, than something that is basic. Let's be honest. In some aspects, being simple or basic can even be seen as offensive, right? If we were to call somebody simple-minded, are we giving them a compliment? No, we're not. (laughs) We're kind of questioning their own intelligence, right? And it just goes to see how deeply ingrained this is. And I just want to take a couple of minutes before we even jump into the Word of God to, to set this up and see how it has affected our lives with the technology that we all have access to right now and even simple things in our day to day. So, If you guys remember, not too long ago, back in the 90s, and and I'm glad that most of the youth is up up at camp right now because there are a lot of things I won't have to explain to them, so this is going to be easier for for me in in a sense. So back in the 90s, if you ever wanted to listen to music while you were walking or running or going somewhere, you would normally have a Walkman. You, You guys remember that, right? And it was like a little brick that you would put a cassette in, and you hit the play button, and you'd listen to music. And it was super easy to use. You just grab the cassette you want, you play the four songs on that side, and then you flip it over and you play the next four songs on the other side. It was great. But then things got a little bit more complex, right? And towards the mid-late 90s, CD players started popping up. And that, wow, you, you don't even have to flip the disc anymore. It's just you put it in, you hit play, and you're good to go. And that's just by listening to music. But what about when we wanted to take photographs or pictures? Some people had Polaroid cameras. Any of you still remember that? You used to load it up with the blank pictures. You used to just look, take the picture, it'd come out, you shake it, and there you go. Instant picture right in your hands. Some other people, like my family, we had more like a Kodak where you just had to take pictures and you'd only found out if it was bad or if you had a lens cap on after the fact when you went to the pharmacy or to a store just to get them printed out. And you're like, oops, <laughs> what happened there? And what about making phone calls? If you were stuck somewhere and you wanted to make a phone call, I hope you had a couple of quarters in your pocket because you'd go to a payphone, right? You'd put, you'd put the money in and you had to memorize the number you, that you wanted to call. But things seemed a lot simpler back then because come to the year around 2007, Apple decides to, to do this new campaign and put out a phone that revolutionized how we live basically, and the iPhone comes out. No longer listening mu- to music is you just put this, this cassette or this disc and this player and you hit play. Now you have to download an app, you have to create an account, you have to put the m- funds in the account, you have to download all of this music that you want to listen to, then you have to make the playlist, and then if you got this all set up nice and easy, right, because this sounds simple, you hit play and can finally start listening to music. What about pictures? Now you have to find the option, you have to make sure that the flash is enabled or else it's too dark, you have to make sure that everything is working correctly and you can't shake or else it's all gonna come out wrong, right? But at least we can see the pictures before we print them, so not all things are bad. And by chance, it did make phone calls once in a while and receive text messages. But it's, it's interesting how we start to look back and we're like, wow, it seemed like life was a lot simpler back then. Everything had its own function. One thing did one thing, and that's it. And now it seems to be awfully more complex. And with the, with the ongoing of the internet, 
and how there's so much information online, even simple things such as recipes and food has changed drastically. I remember my grandparents' recipes because they're very easy. You just put everything in the boiling pot of water, <laughs> you season to taste, you take out the scum whenever it comes up, and then when it's done, you serve it. It's not too difficult. Or an oven roast, you just grab some garlic, some olive oil, black pepper, and some salt, you just put it on whatever slice of meat you want, you put some potatoes in it, put it in the oven, you bring it out, right? And now it seems like, oh, you, you have to deglaze the pan because the fun's down at there at the bottom, and there, there's a whole bunch of these terms that kind of confuse people when you look at cookbooks. And things as simple as a burger today doesn't seem awfully simple anymore now, does it? If you guys try to go eat out a burger in a, f in a restaurant that's not like Burger King or, or a fast food chain, they're going to ask you, do you want the smash burger variant of this? Uh, do, you want, do you want it to be a burger with meat? I mean, <laughs> what? Can it even be considered a burger if it doesn't have meat? But we've overcomplicated things, and we added so much. And there's a clip that I'd like to show you guys from Parks and Rec. Um, <laughs> and some of you already know this clip. It happens to be one of my favorite scenes of this mockumentary. And just to get the, the lead up to this episode, uh, Ron Swanson and Mike Tager are having a competition to see who can have the best burger. Now, these two people are total opposites. Mike is a health freak. He defends that, well, he's going to live to see 150, so he's trying his best. He eats only organic food. He eats all the best and freshest fruits and vegetables. He makes sure that everything is organic and everything is perfect. Ron, meanwhile, he doesn't shop at a fancy store to buy his food or his stuff. He goes to a store literally called Food and Stuff. To quote him, that's where I get my food and my stuff. So, <laughs> so they're going to have this amazing cook-off, and we're going to see who comes out the winner. Oops. I have a little question for you, Mike. You think well. Have you tried a turkey burger? An Asian fusion burger made with willow, farm, organic turkey, a pepper blender of cheese strip, the highest pattern, black pepper, no oregano, microgreens, on a wooden stainless steel plate. Anything else? Mmm. Looks tasty and delicious and smells like smells. It's really easy for us to look at this, and we all got a kick out of it, right? But truth be told that we as Christians, we're much like Mike, where there's something that we love, that we care for, and throughout the years, we've tried to change it a little bit to make it a bit more acceptable, to make it healthier, in quotes, to make it a bit more politically correct. And that's the basic of our own faith. 
That's the gospel. And as, as I was watching this show recently, I saw this, and this really struck me, how nowadays it seems like we don't really know what the gospel is because a lot of churches have focused on everything else but the gospel. They think, you know what? The thing that's going to bring people to our church is having cutting-edge technology, having all the best gadgets in the world, ev- everything being up to snuff, everything maybe even being an Apple product. But that's not the case. Churches think that maybe if they reformulate the way that they worship, they bring in more instruments, newer songs, and they make a show out of it, a spectacle, that that's going to draw more people in. But it hasn't. Churches think that maybe by having more meetings and having more activities, that that is the key to bring people to Christ. And that is the key for us as believers to have a deep relationship with God. But it's not working. It's not failing. It's failing, sorry. It's not, it's not working at all. And all of this is because we've forgotten the basics. We haven't gone back to the joy and to the hope that we have. Just think about this. The word gospel means good news. And if the gospel is good news, then why doesn't anyone want it? Why are the Christians changing it? Why does the world choose to ignore it? Why do people think it's not relative anymore? It might be because they don't know it. Because a lot of people that are not believers might hear the gospel in the name of Jesus, and they might have really big misconceptions. I've heard even at work, oh, Jesus Christ, he was the best Republican there was. Or Jesus Christ was the best Democrat. And they go on to, to explain why they have that viewpoint. Or that Jesus Christ was the, the best person out there for social justice. And I can see where you can make certain cases for certain things, but those are all misconceptions because that's just a shadow of what Jesus is and what he came here to do. So this morning, I want to do this. I want to go back and relearn the Roman road. Has anyone heard of this, the Roman road? Quick, quick show of hands. The Roman road is a simple way of us learning the gospel, going back to the foundation of our faith. It's a lot of verses in Romans that talk about salvation. There's a lot of different versions of it. Um, mine's actually going to start in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 20. So Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I actually have them all up here, so you don't have to open up your Bibles if you don't want to. And in case you're taking notes, you can easily take notes. But before we dive in, let's just turn to the Lord in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to be here this morning and just going back to the basics of our faith and understanding why we have hope and why we have joy and the real reason of us being here this morning. It's all about Jesus and everything that he did and your love for each and every one of us. And Father, we just pray that as this meeting continues, that your word and your spirit can can be used through me, Lord, and that we as Christians and believers can just renovate our, our joy and our salvation. But if there's someone here that does not know you as their personal savior, that today can be the day that they accept, Lord. So, Father, we just want to thank and ask all of this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Right out the gate, Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. I'm using the NIV version because it's one of the more simpler ones. Um, and basically... What I love about this is that the Bible doesn't ask you if you believe in God, nor does it care. The Bible starts off with, in the beginning, God created in the, heaven, the heavens and the earth. 
In the beginning, God was already there. In the beginning, God willed everything into existence. And then you can come to verse here in Romans 1.20, and it says that man is without excuse to not believe in God because if we take a look around at nature, it all points to a creator. And I, for, at least for me in my life, the more I learn about science and how things work in our universe, it's just incredible for someone to say, oh, this all happened by chance. You're going to tell me that gravitational pull and the way that planets orbit stars and the way that everything is just working in perfect harmony is just by chance? It's just a mathematical improbability that wind up happening? It doesn't make any sense. Look at life. Look at the people you have around you in this room right now. The Bible says that each and every one of us are made in God's image. God put something special in each and every one of us. And it, the miracle of life is just amazing. As you, a lot of you know, Nicole and I have Iris, and she has been a, a huge blessing to us. And it's just incredible to see how much she's just like me and Nicole, even though she's so small, and just how beautiful that is. And we're going to say that something like that is just, you know, a mathematical coincidence. It just happened. You're going to say that in the beginning, there was nothing, and then out of nothing, something appeared, and that something that was still all of a sudden exploded and everything came into existence? I think it takes the same amount of faith to believe in that as it does to believe in God. And honestly, the Bible's very clear. There is a creator. There is a God. A God who is holy. A God who is perfect. A God who wants to have a relationship with each and every person here because that's what we were created for. The second part of the Roman road is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This might seem very simple for people that have been going to church for a very long time. And truth of the matter is, in our society, we have played down sin quite a lot, haven't we? Right now, anything goes. Everything is acceptable. The only person who can judge you is pretty much yourself, unless you commit a crime. And even then, that's questionable, because if you have enough money, you can get away from that too, unfortunately. We all have sinned. Every single person has sinned. We hear the word, but we might not know what it means. Sin is simply anything that goes against God's will and God's person. And God is perfect and holy, right? So he cannot have fellowship with anything that is unholy or imperfect. That's why here in Romans, we see that we fall short of the glory of God. When God created human, humanity, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect. He would come down at the end of every day to the garden to walk with Adam and Eve, to talk with them. And that's the relationship that God had with the first creation. But then sin comes into play, and it messes it all up. And now there's this huge divide between God and man due to sin. Sin not only are the things that we do that go against God, but it could also be the things that we don't do, things that we know that we're supposed to do and we choose not to because maybe we don't feel like it. or Maybe it might be a little bit too difficult. And if you start looking, you might say, you know what? All right, I'll give you that. I am a sinner. I have, done, I have done some questionable things sometimes, but that doesn't make me a bad person, right? Well, it does. <laughs> Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. And in some translations, it's translated, there is no one good, not even one. It doesn't matter 
how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you think you do. At the end of the day, it's not on your scale, but it's on God's scale that you're being compared and weighed on. At the end of the day, it's what you do in relation to God that matters. And even if you say that you are good, what are you trying to compare yourself to? A lot of people love looking at bad examples or worse examples than they are. Oh, I'm a loving husband. I don't beat my wife, so I can't be all that bad, right? I might not help her with anything else, but at least I don't hit her. Some, some things people would say. Um, or we're, we think that, oh, you know, because I haven't committed a crime, I'm a much better person than maybe a criminal that's in jail. But truth of the matter, it doesn't matter what you think because it matters what God thinks and what God compares you to. And some people even like to say, you know, I obey the Ten Commandments. You, you do? Let's take a look at them. This is a very reduced version of the Ten Commandments, okay? And a lot of people that say, hey, I tend to try to obey the Ten Commandments, they never start with the, the top ones. No, they'll pick and choose the ones that are easier, right? So they'll be like, you know, I never committed murder. I'm not that bad. I never committed adultery. I don't covet as far as I know, right? So a lot of people will try to use this list and say, yeah, I'm not a bad person. I get three out of 10. That might be passing, right? But God says that if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. It doesn't matter if you think you can do the first one, the second, but let's say you fail on the last one, not covenanting, then you're guilty of the whole thing. So are you righteous in God's eyes? You see, Paul actually talks about the Ten Commandments later on, and he says that the reason why he knows that he is unrighteous is because they exist. The reason that he knows that he has failed is because he reads the Ten Commandments and he knows that right out the gate, he can't obey them. And it's impossible for us as humankind to obey these commandments, to obey these rules. On the first one, we fail. Even though over here it says, you shall not have other gods before me, our brother Ken Barrett just went four weeks talking about this, right? You, you are to love the Lord your God with all your soul, your heart, and your mind. And we fail right out the gate on the first one, so how do we think that we can obey all the rest? It's impossible. It's impossible. So in God's eyes, we're unrighteous. We are not good. And this is the big sin problem because of sin, we have death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, a lot of people argue that when Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sin, they didn't die at that moment. But they're not really seeing the big picture there because they did die. They died spiritually. There was this divide between them and God, as I alluded to earlier. No longer can they have an open fellowship like they did with God. No longer can God walk in the midst of them at the end of every day like they used to. Not just that, their sin brought in dire consequences. God cursed man and woman. He said that the man would have to sweat to be able to eat. Before, they just go to the trees and pluck them and everything would be great. Can you imagine that? Gardening, where you just go and you just eat the fruit without having to work at all? You don't have to take the rocks out the dirt. You don't have to pull the weeds. You don't have to worry about all the insects or the, <laughs> the little critters that run away with all your fruit. No, you don't have to worry about any of that. That's how it was in the garden. It was perfect. But God cursed Adam and Eve. 
Adam would have to work hard to be able to provide. And Eve would have to have great pain during child labor. But all of this, God also made a backup plan. Because even though there was a curse, there was also a blessing at the end. Because they were tricked by the serpent, God let Adam and Eve know, look, there will be somebody one day that will come and have victory over the serpent, will crush its head, even though the serpent will bite its heel. And we'll get back to this in just a little bit. But if you think that sin is not a big deal, it's a huge deal. Because sin makes you spiritually dead. And by default, by default, we are dead. We are spiritually dead. We do not have a connection between us and God because of our sin, because of the things that we we did when we were kids, when we were smaller, all the way to the things that we do now. And the death that it's talking about here isn't just our physical death, but it's this eternal death in this place called hell. Yeah, I'm going to talk about hell. huh? How about not politically correct? (laughs) And one, one big misconception that people have is that God enjoys sending people there. He doesn't. If you go and you read throughout the Bible, you'll see that hell is prepared specifically for one person, the devil, Satan. It was made for him and the angels that rebelled against God. That's what hell was intended for. That's what it was intended for. Hell was never intended for mankind. And the worst part about hell isn't even the brimstone or the fire or the, or the smell or the things that we see described in the New Testament. That's not even the worst part about it. It's not just that physical agony for all eternity or that suffering. The worst part about hell is an eternity away from God. That is the worst part about hell. Because the center for all life, for all joy, for everything that is good, is in God. And if we spend a whole eternity away from that, wouldn't that be terrible? That, in my opinion, from what I read the scripture, is one of the hardest things to understand. But it's also of the most important things we have to understand about our spiritual death. An eternity away from everything that is good and anything that is good, let alone all the suffering that you'll spend throughout all eternity. So when you think that your sin is not a big deal, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal because it's what's condemned you for all eternity. Luckily, though, the verse doesn't end here. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's a big but right there. That's like a big swing verse, so to speak, like Steve Lamison likes to say. God loved us so much that from the beginning, since mankind sinned, he made a plan of redemption for them. God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world and to die on the cross for each one of our sins. And I think that is, it's crazy and it's backwards. Because if you think about all other religions, it's always man trying to, to do something to gain God's favor. It's always man trying to live up to God's expectation. In Christianity, God's saying, forget it, you can't do it. You can't do it. But you know who can? I can. So let me send somebody who's going to do it, who's going to do this for you. And if we read through the crucifixion, It's really amazing how God loved us so much and how Jesus cared so much for us. A person who was innocent, his trial was done in the middle of the night, which makes no sense whatsoever, even in Jewish culture. And two or three witnesses couldn't even see eye to eye. The the whole trial was a hoax. Because in the law, it says if two or three 
come with the same accusation, then that person is to be condemned. They couldn't get two or three people to agree in that whole mob, and yet they still condemned Christ. You know what else they did? They mocked him. They wove a thorn of crowns, dried up thorns. They weaved it into a crown, and they put it on his head, and they beat him with that crown on his head. They kept on hitting him. And here's the crazy part. As you read through Scripture, you know that Jesus Christ is thinking of us through all those moments. Through the spits, through the beatings, through the pain. He knows that this has to happen. That in that moment, it's difficult for him. It's going to cost him his life. It's horrible. That's not even talking about the crucifixion yet. But it's all leading up to the salvation of God's creation. It's all going back to what God wanted from the start. And then we go to the crucifixion where Christ is nailed to a cross. And let's be honest here. If we think that cross was sanded and smooth and comfortable, it wasn't. There was splinters. It was hard. He was suffocating. Every time he wanted to gasp up and breathe, he'd have to put pressure on his feet that had been nailed to the cross. If you think about all this pain, wouldn't you think that somebody that wasn't the Messiah would have said, enough's enough, I'm not doing this? No. Christ did it because he is God. He is God's son. Christ did it because he was thinking of each and every one of us. Christ did it because he wanted mankind to have a taste of salvation, to be well with God once more. And it's incredible because the second that Jesus Christ dies, it says that the veil, this veil was a place that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, of the temple. It was torn. It was torn in half. What a great picture. With the death of Jesus Christ, it's now an open road to God through him, through his death. You might think, you know, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and I'm beyond the point of forgiveness. And this is what the Bible has to say about that. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemy, when we were in the worst position that we can ever be, that's when God decided to send his son. Looking at how horrible, all the horrible things in our life. If you guys read through the New Testament, you'll see that the person who's penning these words in the book of Romans was Paul. Before he was Paul, he was known as Saul. And he was, he was basically an assassin, if you think about it. He would hunt Christians down he would torture them, and he would kill them. And you would think that somebody who has stooped that low and has done these atrocities, that they would be beyond repentance, that they would be beyond forgiveness. But that's not true. He calls himself the chief of sinners because he feels the weight of his sin. He feels that what he has done isn't correct. But he knows that he has joy in Jesus Christ. That despite all of the mistakes he made beforehand, before he knew the Lord Jesus Christ, that now they're like nothing. They're forgotten. In Psalms we read that the Lord throws our sin as far as the east is from the west. When he forgives us of our sins, he no longer remembers them. This is why it's such great news. This is why the gospel is such great news. It's a second chance at life. And it doesn't matter who we were before we knew Jesus Christ. All that matters is that Christ died on the cross for our sins. All that matters is that his love 
for us, led him there. And because of his love for us, we have access now to the Lord. To, we have access to God. We can call him Abba Father, just like Jesus does. And it's all due to the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we be saved? Romans 10, 9-10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Once more, people think that they can buy their salvation. People think that they, it's what they do. But the only thing you have to do is what's written in this verse here. It's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess that he is the Lord. Confess that you believe that he came down to this earth to die on the cross for each and every one of our sins. That's how you're saved. It's, it's so simple, isn't it? It's so easy. It seems too good to be true. But that's what's so great about the message of the gospel. It's so simple that a child can understand, yet it's so deep and complex that adults and theologians and everyone has, has been still looking at it and puzzled and perplexed by, at times by some of the, the things in it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. This is great news. Great news that God loved each and every one of us. Great news that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took the wrath of God so that we didn't have to. So that one day we can be up in heaven and have fellowship with God and one another. I think heaven's going to be a very busy place, but it's also going to be a great place, a great place of fellowship, not just with our brothers and sisters in Christ now, but with God and all the ones that came before us. And if, and I know as we, we walk in our faith, for those of you that are Christian, sometimes we, we even ask ourselves, did we really accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? Sometimes we go through these seasons that maybe we have a doubt, that maybe we're unsure but in Romans, we have something that will calm our hearts. It says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you ever profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you believe that he is who he said he was and you believe in his death and resurrection, then you're saved. Once more, even though we're, even though we're Christians, a lot of times we still do sin. A lot of times we still do fall short from the glory of God. And sometimes we hold that more against us than God does. And we allow that to be a burden in our own life because we think, because I messed up knowing that I shouldn't have, that God wants nothing to do with me. And we fail to see that God saw us at our lowest point. It couldn't get even worse than it was. So just because we tripped up along the line or along the way, it doesn't matter because he wants us to come back to him. If you ever confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and you feel that you're far away, Come close to him. He's calling for you. He's calling to have you back. He's never left you. He's always been by your side. You just got to reach out to him. You are saved. That's the assurance you can have. Your salvation, well, no one will ever take it away from you. That's the eternal gift that God gives us. And if you really want to learn how to draw closer to him, last verse of the Roman roads. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. A great way to strengthen our relationship with God, a great way to strengthen our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is to meet together, to open up his word by ourselves in our home, but also with other brothers and sisters in Christ and see all the promises that God has. Because this part of the gospel, it's just a little bit. It's just the beginning of what it all can be. So just as a quick recap, 
it's interesting how our lives have get more and more complicated as life goes on. And a lot of times we, for, we tend to ignore the simple and the basic things. And when it comes to our faith, the most basic and simple thing is the gospel. And it's important that we come back to it and that we are reminded of our hope, of our joy, that life here is just for a moment. One day, we'll breathe our last breath and we'll wake up and we'll see God face to face. And we'll be able to, to have fellowship with him because we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, if you didn't accept the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't know him, there's no better time like right now. There's no better time to accept this gift of salvation than right now. Something that will change your life, I promise you. Something that will give your life meaning and purpose. Something that a lot of people in this day and age are lacking. So don't let this day go by without considering this without considering the gift of salvation that God is giving, without considering how privileged we are, those that know him, and how much of a blessing this is, and allowing us daily to go back to the basics and be reminded of God's love. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, because you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross for us. And he's, as he was being tortured and beaten, we know that he was thinking of each and every one of us. He took your wrath so that we didn't have to. But God, we know that only those that accept this gift of salvation will be with you in eternity. And we pray, Lord, that if there's someone here this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that this can be the day, that they can seek you, that they can find you. And Lord, we just pray that as we go on th throughout this week, that we can daily go back to these basics to the basic of our, found, of our faith and the foundation of our faith, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. And allow that to be our joy and the thing that mot motivates us in our daily lives, Lord. God, we just thank and ask all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ.